in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're going to be talking again with pressure points. There are things in your life that bring a lot of pressure, right? Anybody been under pressure? Am I talking to the right group? You know, when you get underneath pressure, you start turning to other things or you turn to the Lord and you start seeking other ways or you actually seek the Lord and find the real answer for your situation. And uh, tonight's pressure point is conflict. Praise God. I know you're all saints out there. Praise God, you may be going through a conflict. You may have been in one or you may be in the middle of one. All your life may have been a conflict. Praise God, a lot of times our conflict begins in our childhood, as psychologists tell us, and, and other life lessons we have learned. It begins, and for all of our life, there's something inside of us that's a conflict. Let's look at James number uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Where do these things come from is what he's saying. I love this scripture because James is going to show us where they come from. He's going to show us how to overcome these things. So if you're one that's in conflict or have been through conflict or you have an old conflict you've never resolved, James says, come and listen to what God has. First, he begins to identify where you're at. You know, some way the Bible always knows where we're at. You know, God not only made us, he designed us. He, he makes us in a certain way and a certain thing, and he knows how we tick. Not only that, he knows how to fix it. You know, I'm interested in the fix it. He's God, I've had enough of the brokenness. I'm ready to be fixed. Praise God, are you ready to be fixed? And that's our goal tonight is kind of explain to you where they come from and, and let you know that you may be in the middle of a conflict. You may have things going on in your marriage, in your life, at work. You know, in my childhood, I grew up with a lot of fighting. Some of you may have done that. There was all kinds of fighting, all kinds of things, and some things I don't even want to share. But, you know, God delivered me out of those. God only changed me. He changed the next generation. And I believe he's going to change the next generation in my family because my family was always like that. But there I found the Word of God, and it changed the generation and the next generation and the next generation. So it's very important to God and to me that your life be changed. It's important to your children and your children's children because the blessing of the Lord goes to a thousand generation. The curse only goes up to ten generations, and most of them seven and some of them four and different things. So, But God... Sent Jesus and he hung upon a tree to break the curses in our life. So that's Old Testament. The New Testament is the fact that Jesus has broken those curses. He's breaking in your life tonight the things that have you bound to conflict. All we got to do is hear God's word, believe him, ask him, call upon him, and take his word and begin to use it. Being a doer of the word has great benefits. Great benefits. It delivers you out of anger, frustration. It delivers you out of that because he says, the wars, where do they come from? Where's all this fighting? And they says, don't they come from your lust, that war inside of you? <laughs> Praise God. Our wars, our conflicts begins on our inside of us. It can develop things like self-image. You can have a very bad self-image of the conflict that's come, it may not even begin with your conflict, but someone told you all your life you're, you're worthless, you're no good, 
You'll never amount to anything. All your good is to be kicked around. You begin to believe that that's that war that starts inside of you. And the good news is Jesus come to deliver you and to heal you and to bring you out of that. The way many people handle the conflicts in life is maybe they fight all the time. Some people wouldn't know what it was like without a fight every day, right? If that's happening in your marriage, God wants to bring you to a different level. He wants to work something in you. He wants to see you and, and, and see you after he has done something in your life. He wants to heal you of all those past things, those past hurts, those past things that have brought such stress and uh, such things into your life. God wants to bring you and deliver you out of those things. See, God, when he finds us, doesn't leave us like we were. Or there wouldn't be any purpose for he finds us. He comes looking for you and I, and he knows where we're at, and he knows what is inside of us, and he knows what the conflict has been inside of us, but he comes to deliver us. That's why he's known as a deliverer. And this is not in theory only. This is in practical terms. I can say for myself, I have been delivered out of many different things. I've been delivered from anger. I've been delivered from a lot of things that we put inside of me that I grew up with that I happened. And I was the first in my family of children delivered, but then all my family was delivered. So I, I just praise God that not only does he work in me, he works in others. And so God wants to see a group of ch uh, people around here and those listening on the internet. He wants to see a group of people who are free from those conflicts in your life. He says these wars begin inside your members. They start inside there. Now, you may be suffering a conflict someone else has because, one, you could be married to them. They could be your friend. They could be somebody you work for, somebody you, who you work under, someone who is your uh, aunt, uncle, or whatever, and they've brought this into your life. Because it's in their life, they're trying to give it into your life. You may have been rejected. Your mama may not have wanted you and sent you off to someone else. Daddy may be in prison. See that a lot of times. A lot of anger comes in there. A lot of conflict happens in our life because of these things. So I'm taking just a moment to let you realize what is causing the conflict. Where does it come from? And if, the, if it can't get inside of you or if it's in there, God can deliver us and heal us and make us whole. But if it's, not, if it's inside of you, recognize it. This is what happened. This is what brought this in. This is what has done this in my life. And I, I'm identifying it. I want to see that. And that's what James is saying uh, as he's writing to other believers just like you and I. It's people just like you and I he's writing to. This is not some fictitious group. He's writing because they're having these kind of problems. He's writing because he sees the conflicts in their life. And so he's inspired of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is instructing him what Jesus would do. <laughs> the Holy Spirit always tells us what Jesus would do. And there are some conflicts that we're not going to solve as far as resolving them because uh, the devil doesn't like us, and there's always going to be a conflict there. The good news, you overcome, you're a winner, 
You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Those things we will overcome and conquer. But then we have our personal relationships where a lot of conflict come in. And that could be in your marriage. You say one little thing and all this other stuff happens, right? (laughs) It doesn't take much. When there's conflict, it all comes out. Matter of fact, you're repeating what happened last time and the time before that, and you go back 10, 15, 20 years, or 50 years, however long you've been married, that thing is still there. And so that's what we want to do tonight. We want to identify what, what is there. We want to see how God delivers us from it. And what we're going to do to see the deliverance of the Lord in our life. See, you, you may have not known that, but I'm here to say it's here for you. It's for the believer. It's for everyone who will believe and call upon the name of the Lord. It says in verse 2, You lust and have not, and you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you cannot have because you ask not. See, there's a story about a man who they rescued off of a deserted island, just him on the island. And when they rolled the boat up there and they saw him and he was so happy and and so they got out and they said, and he told them he had been there 10 years and and finally someone had come to rescue him. But they looked up on the hill and there was three huts. And they said, well, why three huts up there? He says, well... The one on the left is where is my house. That's where I live. And they thought, well, that's good. And he said, what about the one in the middle? And he goes, the one in the middle is where I go to church. He's doing well, right? They said, well, what's the one on the right? He says, that's where I used to go to church. He was having a conflict all by himself, right? <laughs> Conflicts come in the church, they come in the home, they come in everything we do because the sin nature that's in us wars against us. And we have to do something with that that nature inside of us. We have to take steps to overcome those things. And, And when James is saying you lust, lust can never be satisfied. There's not enough money in the world to satisfy lust. There's not enough, whatever it is lusting for, there's not enough of it. Because that's the nature of lust. It cannot be satisfied. It doesn't ever have a satisfaction. It will never bring you to satisfaction. It will only bring you to want more. And whatever area lust comes or is, we can have it in three different areas. We can want something like somebody's got a really really great pretty car yeah, that red mustang you know with the 1964 and a half with leather seats and prime, and uh, prime condition and we get to wanting it to wanting it and wanting it you know and just begin to lust over you know what I mean it can be much uh, a little bit of anything we can begin to lust after, but lust will never be satisfied. A good friend of mine has a 1964 and a half 
Mustang. They were red-orange with leather seats. Even had the paper behind the tag when it drove off 19,000 miles on it. Beautiful car. But he has like four other Mustangs too, but he wanted that one, you know. And, and that's kind of the way it goes. You know, we're never satisfied no matter how much we get. We always want something more. And the things of this world can never satisfy us. So lusting after the things of this world is never going to satisfy you. But when we become satisfied by the Lord, the things of this world also become useful to us. Praise God. They don't control us. So one of the things is you want something that's called greed. You begin to desire things. It's all right to desire things, but not to get over into greed. It's all right to have desires for things better. It's all right to have a desire for a better house, a nicer car, and those things. Those are things that God wants to give into us because he, one of his promises is he'll give us houses. He'll do things for us. He'll, you know, it said they'd have vineyards they didn't plant. That's some of the promises to the children of Israel and also, I believe, to believers today. If we just give our tithes and offering, God's begins to bless us. And the blessings of the Lord makes rich and doesn't add that sorrow. But the riches of the world makes rich, but they add tons of sorrow and makes you miserable. So the first one we're talking about is greed. Another one is you want to feel something. And the Bible dealt with it, and it's something physical. Say, don't look on another man's wife to lust because this is adultery. Don't do this because this is what? God knew what was good with us, so he gave us good commandments. He wants you happy. He wants you walking in peace. He ordains peace for you according to Isaiah 26, 12. God ordains peace for us. He has worked his works in us. When God works his works in us, we have an inward satisfaction because our desire is not upon the things of the earth. Our desire is set into heavenly places. For where your treasure is, or where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So if our heart and meditation is all the time on the things of the earth, that's where our heart is. And, and, and God just cuts to the chase. He says your heart can't be in two places. It's either going to be set up on heavenly things or it's going to be set up on earthly things. And because it's set up on heavenly things, he says, your father knows you have need of certain things, and he'll provide those for you. He says he takes care of the billions and billions of birds in the earth, feeds them every day. He never gets stressed over it. He puts out all the bird food for them every day. It's all taken care of. He waters them every day. He takes care of all that thing, all the animals in the world. He does that every, he does that every day. It doesn't, it, I mean, that's just something that flows from God. And his word is like that in our life. It gives us continual supply. He satisfies our heart with good things. And he brings peace into our life. He gets rid of the warring inside of us. He said, uh, the third one is, you want something that's called power or prestige. You want to be the one in control or you want to be the one who's adored, you know. But really, those things belong to God. When he puts things in our hand, then we're responsible to do with them as good stewards of the things of God. 
And that's whether a position he puts us in to minister the things of God or a calling he puts in our life or money he puts in our hand, we're to be good stewards of the things that God commits unto us, and we're to use it, and we're to have an abundance, but we're not to be concentrating on the earthly things. We're to be looking into the heavenly things because Christ is our Lord, he is our king, and he has redeemed us, he has purchased us and put us into him. Our kingdom, our treasure is not in the earth, our treasure is in heaven. It's that eternal thing called eternal life with Jesus Christ. We're going to eternally be in joy. In heaven there is no sadness. When the Lord taught us, the disciples to pray, he didn't say, pray it be in heaven as it is on earth. There's a reason for that, because the earth is a mess. <laughs> Things in your life might be all tore up and in, a, in chaos, but in heaven it's not that way. So if you ever wonder, what is God's will for my life, that simple little prayer tells us it's God's will, it be in your life like it is in heaven. In heaven, it's in peace. In heaven, it's in love. In heaven, it's in joy. In heaven, there's nobody there worrying about their self-identification of how they are or whether they're whatever the thing is. There's none of that going on because in heaven, we know him and we're like Christ. And there's always joy. The kingdom of God has righteousness. That means a right standing with God, peace, and joy. That's the three things in the kingdom of God that's prevalent in us as believers in the earth. So if you're lacking in one of these areas, that's what he said here in this scripture. You do all this fighting inside and you have all this, why? Because you ask not. Somebody's going to say, Brother Dale, that's too simple. That is where, like the scripture said, it's more like, first you ask, seek, and knock. You ask. When my wife, I first met her, started dating her, I asked where she lived. The next day I drove by. <laughs> Seek, right? And the third one was I knocked. <laughs> so that is the same principle. When we begin to ask, then we begin to look for it. We begin to go by where it's at. And we begin to look at it maybe from a little bit of a distance. But then when you go up there and knock, that's really what prayer is, knocking. So I'm ready. I found out where it was at. And I could have spent my rest of my life driving by the house and that's, that's where she's at. And I wouldn't have got what I got. I could just drove by and drove by, but there's something about knocking. Okay, there's something about going up there and, and, and getting uh, knocking that things will be open to you, so you're going to have a different kind of relationship. And God wants every one of you to have a different relationship with him and a different relationship with the world than what you have. Now, in the world, there's going to be trouble. We're not going to get away from that. It is going to come but I'm not in this world. I'm of that world. I'm not limited by what goes on here. I'm limited by what Jesus says and what goes on there. I'm not destroyed by this because what's going to happen 
if we live here and those things begin to happen, we're going to have conflicts. It's going to kill our dreams, kill our marriages, kill our relationship with our children. It's going to do a lot of things like that. But whenever we pay attention to what God says, when we begin to do that asking part, he begins to make all those things whole. We're not come to him in pieces. He, we may come to him in pieces, but he doesn't send us away that way. He begins to make us whole. That's one principle of God. He doesn't like it all pieced up. He likes it whole. He likes the whole enchilada. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. And uh, verse 3 says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Or you're, you're, you're not asking the, for the right thing. You see, in your asking, don't let it be driven by your lusting. I, now, I never asked for my friends, asked the Lord for my friends, 1964 and a half. Mustang even had the tires that go on it. For guys who like that kind of thing, the little pinstriped, uh, they're uh, red-orange pinstripe tires. He had the original tires. He only put it when he went to shows with it. He had other tires. He didn't drive it because it devalued it. He took it to original shows and showed it in original paint and all that. But truthfully, uh, I mean, I enjoyed seeing it, but it's not something I desire. <laughs> I'm not that kind of guy into that, into the car like that. Other guys are. I mean, that's, they look at it and may start lusting after it and begin it, you know, and do whatever it takes to get it. But God is not that Way he causes us to be satisfied. And he causes us to be satisfied in our life, in our marriage, in our job. And, uh, and if, uh, if we'll do, use these things in our life, then he'll promote us into other areas. He'll bring other things into our life. He says, you ask, you don't receive because you ask commit that you may consume it upon your lust. So he's beginning to say, okay, the reason why you're missing it is you're wanting it for your own lust. Now, remember, lust works in three areas. It works in greed and wanting something that you're going to have a supply, but you, you just, it just consumes you, uh, or physical, wanting something that has to do with the, the physical and, and lusting in that way, or wanting power or prestige or glory. There's usually hardly any children more messed up when they get to be adults than those that were movie stars, right? Or the children of the extremely wealthy are usually really messed up, right? They're in drugs, on, and they only know all this stuff, you know, because lust goes that way. And if that's what they're exposed to, that's the way it goes. And that's why it's important for God to deliver and to bring you through. Not only will he do it for you, he'll do it for your parents. <laughs> and he'll do it for your children and your grandchildren. It's wonderful that we can set this thing in our life. And if we seriously, if you're going through conflicts, if you'll seriously take what I'm saying tonight and begin to put it in your life, God will seriously do something for you and with you and in you. Let's look at verse 4. It says, you adulterers and adulteresses. Now, this is not talking about sexually. This is talking about people who believe the Lord, but they love the world. 
That's what it's talking about. It has nothing to do with marriage. This is talking about we are the closest relationship to being a child of God or being with Christ. He, 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 we're called the bride of Christ, the church is, because that's our kind of relationship. Christ and us are one. My wife and I are one. And that's the way he relates to the church as one with him, as a wife, as a bride. And the marriage supper of the lamb is for the, when the whole bride gathers there and we come, those in the grave come up and those that are on the earth meet them in the air and they rise up and they go to the marriage supper of the lamb because we are joined one with him. Jesus prayed on the earth. He says, Father, I pray that they be one. Know what he's saying? I pray that Brother Dale and Roland be one, like you and I are one. And that's the kind of relationship he wants each one of us to have with the other. However Jesus and God gets along is the way he wants us to get along. You want to know the will of God? That's his will. If you want to know if true religion is working with you is when you love your brothers and you love your sisters and you show your love to them. That's really when it shows. See, the uniqueness of the body of Christ, I'm going to throw this in for free, is that every joint has to supply. Years ago, I broke my wrist, and when I was a cast up to here, when I took it off after three weeks, I couldn't hardly move my elbow. It was so painful. I didn't break my elbow. There's nothing wrong with it, except it wasn't supplying. And as I began to move it over a few days, it began to get lubricated again. See, it takes that lubrication to have a working even in a church, in a marriage, in friendships. You've got to have that lubrication working or you'll be rubbing bone on bone. And it's very painful to be bone on bone. But you don't even notice it when it's all working together. And I praise God we're a body of Christ that are working together. I don't know of any open conflicts, but when a church has been going 80 years and some of y'all have been here 30, 40, 50 years, you may have been right here, there's plenty of opportunities you have old conflicts still in your life that you've never gotten over. But we need to get rid of those things. We need to be whole. We need to walk in love. And God has the answer. He says, you ask for it. Ask what I have for you. So he goes on to say, now, Adulterers and adulteresses are going to have conflict because friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you're going to be friendship in the world, if all of your affection, all of your love, all your desires are going to be up on worldly things, it can't be up on God. But he's saying church, he's saying believers, he's saying husband and wife, set your affections on things that are above. Let that be where your treasure is. Let that be where, where you're, you've, you've been. Now, I've been serving the Lord for 46 years. I was just adding it up earlier. Praise God. When I got saved, I said, Lord, I don't want to be like other people I've seen. A lot of Christians are bitter, hurt, and barely making it. And I said, God, I want to be an overcomer. 
Whatever your word says, even if I can't do it, I want to, you know, embrace it. I want to go after it. I want it in my life. When I started looking at God's word, there's a lot of things I didn't, didn't think I could do. But God enables us. He empowers us. And he gives us his word and it empowers us. And it places us in authority over the devil and the works of the devil that we might live a victorious Christian life, that we might walk in love one with the other. So when you come to me and you've got a problem with me, it's not like, I'm not going to come back and say, you know what I mean? Because that's not really walking in love. I got to supply something. I got to put something out there. Where we rub against each other, but then if the body gets working right, then it will function without all the fussing and fighting and griping. And, and we'll have care one for another. I want to speak just about my wife. Since she's not in here, I can speak about her, right? None of y'all are going to say anything, okay? Praise God. No. Uh, my wife and I were both over 25 when we got married. It was our first marriage. We didn't have an old marriage to bring into it, which is haunting a lot of people. But God is able to bring you through those things and deliver you from that and heal your life and make it whole in your, in your marriage. But uh, we were both mature. We were both filled with the Holy Ghost. We were both given to working in the ministry. I started doing teens at 19, and my wife's done music and choirs and all kinds of things for many, many years. So she was uh, a mature, we were both mature believers who were active in the body of Christ, doing something for Christ. We both could hear what the Lord was saying in our heart and life. So it gave us a, maybe a big advantage. But one of my life rules was this. I told her, now, when we disagree, let's don't fight. When we disagree, let's don't fight. We didn't always agree. But I said, you're a believer full of the Holy Ghost, and I'm a believer full of the Holy Ghost. We're going to let the Holy Spirit work it out in us. And after 38 years, we've had yet to have our first fight. So, you know, it's, I'm not speaking from theory. I'm speaking from reality. <laughs> we don't always agree, but the Holy Spirit works it out. The good news about that is this. Most of your fights is a continuation of the fight before because you didn't feel like you won. <laughs> is that speaking to a lot of people here? What's the first thing you bring up? Well, you still didn't pick up your clothes. You still didn't. <laughs> and I told you, you know, five years ago, you needed to do that. <laughs> I always have to pick up after your, you know, well, why didn't you cook supper? You know, why didn't you do that? You know, yeah, the trash, okay. Yeah, you got all kinds. And the frustration, and that's what we're talking about. This builds up in any relationship if you don't do something about it. first thing you must realize what's happening. The first big item we came to, we did that. We waited six months. And one of you will change. 
But both of you benefit. Or maybe both of you will change. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit, he is sent to lead us and guide us and work in us and to bring out the nature of Christ in us and to bring us into union and into fellowship and into closeness one with the other. And we can't have these things separating us. It's been the secret to our happy marriages. We don't have things separating us. I can't say one thing that my wife has ever said to me that I remember that would be hurtful. It's a, it's a great thing. It's a, it's a great feeling because we'd have to start all over new fighting. I'm not saying this bragging. I'm saying this as a reality for you. Some of you need to hear this. You need to first, let me tell you what all happens. You get mad. You have your fight. You go tell your mother, father, all your kinfolk. You tell all your friends. You tell your friends' friends, and you put it on Facebook, okay? And they're all agreeing with you. He or she is no good. It's she. It's like all the friends say, he's no good. Man, you should not. Man, that guy, I got to get rid of him. If it's, your, if it's uh, the guy, they'll say, no, you need to take authority. You need to be the boss in your house, you know, whatever, whichever way it goes. <laughs> Both is heading for disaster <laughs> as fast as he can. Uh. Because then when, when you have resolved your conflict, the mother-in-law don't want to have anything to do with that no-good son-in-law anymore. See, my wife didn't want to go back home. All I'd say, I'm going to send you back home to your mother, and she would straighten up. And if you're the in-law, stay out of your kid's stuff, you know. Best compliment I got from my daughter-in-law was, she's told us one time, so yeah, my sisters was talking about their in-laws, how they always do this and that and have to have this and that, and said, then they asked her, what about yours? Said, well, mine don't do that. <laughs> they stay out of our, they have to make me get involved. <laughs> I have an opinion, but I'm not going to give it to them. They have to make me get involved. They have to ask. Because they're the ones growing to be one. They're the ones that's solving them. I wanted that in my marriage. I want to give that to my children. I don't want to be meddling and causing conflict. I want the son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws to uh, be around me and be as my own children and not be one that I have to take up for my kids because, you know, uh, I think we should, you know, be fair with everybody and, 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 and set that as a principle. But when my wife and I set this in our life, the Holy Spirit has been faithful to work out our differences. And we're always going to look at slings differently. Not always. But the one thing that happens when he works it, God the Father's in our marriage because God said he was in marriage. It's a covenant. It involves God too. Marriage is a covenant involving God. So the we're giving the God part in it, and we're giving our parts into it, and the, all of us, it becomes one. And I want to encourage you, instead of 
saying and going and spread all that, first go to the Lord with it. I'm not talking about don't talk about it all, but the first thing you should do, even before you reply to that thing that was said in anger, that thing that's been hanging over and you've been arguing about for all these years, those things that have built up, first take it to the Lord. Because what you say, I can, I can tell you right now, I want you to think. You remember what was said, right? Women have really great memories for what's said. 20 years from now, they can call it up. That's what's said. Especially when it hurts. And since there's no one closer to me than my wife, I want to avoid that conflict. I don't want to put that hurt because I don't have all that coming up. I don't have all that stuff dragging behind me. But see, that's the great thing, whether it's in friendship and marriage, on the job or whatever. If the boss is getting after you and you step back and you say, well, I'm really not doing my job like I'm supposed to, well, start doing your job like you're supposed to. <laughs> you know, just throwing another thing, in relationships where there's conflict, a lot of time it's born out of uh, not being confident in the relationship. In a marriage, there's a five-year level, a 10-year level, a 20-year level. For the first five years, she keeps her own bank check in account, and you got ours and hers. Because you don't trust that guy. I'm sorry, maybe getting too personal. <laughs> but God doesn't want us to be friends with the world. He wants us to be friends with him. He wants us to be in love with him. He wants our desires set up on heavenly things. Because if you set your desires upon the earthly things, it can only come from lust. And it can only bring heartache and fighting and unhappiness in your life. That's all it has. The world doesn't have anything else in it. That's why we all wanted to get out of the world and come to Jesus, because the world had all that stuff in it. That's our reason for coming to Jesus. We got drugs didn't have, and we come to Jesus, and it changed us. Alcohol didn't have, you know, we come to Jesus, and we, we didn't find it in prison, but we found it when we come to Jesus. So we're not changing from that, amen? So let's look on down. I think I've spent enough on that. Now we're going to talk a little bit about solving the problems. In verse uh, 5, do you think the Scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? See, he's talking about that fallen man that is in every one of us has lust. It's impossible to get away from that until we're resurrected and given a new body. That's what the falling nature is. It's always lusting to envy. It's lusting for things in the earth. It's lusting for whatever, but that's the nature of it. But it doesn't mean we can't get rid of it, but we can control it. Because when you begin to set your affection on, on God and your affection upon Jesus, and you begin to learn to love the Word of God, and you begin to you see yourself changing. 
because that becomes your treasure. See, I, I had a desire for a good marriage. I was 19 when I saw my first happy marriage. I didn't see a happy marriage. In theory, I thought marriage could be the best thing. In reality, I thought marriage could be the worst thing. So I began to set my affection upon the Word of God. I began to set my affection upon the things of God, and look what God can do. I'm just talking to you in practical terms because this is what's happened in my life. This is things that I've established over many years of, of walking with the Lord. Uh, this is things that I've used, and I don't care where your point is. You've been there, and you set your affections on the things of God. It all starts to turn around, and God begins to do in you what he's done in me because he's no respecter of person. He doesn't love one of his children more than the other. And it's for all who will believe. So let's look here. He says, in every one of us, there's a spirit that lusts to, to, to envy. So when you ask, God's now going to say in the next scriptures how to ask, what to ask for. It's not like, God, I want a happy marriage. No, they ask us, God, what do I need to know to have a happy marriage? I want to have a, uh, to learn to, to work on the job and be happy. Well, so when have you, God changes your attitude and you love to work. <laughs> they can't hardly get rid of you because you love to do whatever it is they give you to do. The worst job you love it. What everybody else thinks is bad can be your blessing because, praise God. I mean, God's given me the ability to work at an old age, you know, or whatever. Praise God. God has put inside of me to do something, you know. Praise God I got vision and hope, you know. I'm doing those things. Okay, so here we go. Verse 6 is where he begins to talk. He's recognized all the shortcomings, all these other things. Now he begins to talk. It says, do you think that the scripture, let's see, uh, verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Rule number one, humble yourself before God. Before you go tell all your hurt and all that thing to all the people you know and put it on Facebook and take out an ad in the paper, humble yourself before God. I don't care if you have to start. Lord, that no good conniving husband you gave me, <laughs> it's a starting place. <laughs> God already knows you feel like that, so he's not going to surprise him or shock him. But when he replies to you, <laughs> he says, yeah, but I love that guy, and I'm going to change him. Or, yeah, I love that lady, and I'm going to change her. For dealing with marriage, he's going to make her perfect for you and you perfect for her. That's God's will and desire. And you start setting your heart and your affections on that. You start setting your, your heart and your affection on what you're doing. God will just promote you and promote you, however it happens. He giveth grace. He gives 
more grace. We've all received grace, but it says here he gives us more grace. You don't have to turn there, but one of my favorite scriptures about revelation that I've had is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, Paul was praying. He says, for this thing I sought the Lord three times. He, Paul was used to praying one time, and it happened, right? You see, he was a man of faith. But he said, I had to pray three times. And he said, then the Lord spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient. And that conflict that was inside of Paul, which some believe, if you said this, said uh, there was giving him a messenger of Satan to, to buffet him, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And every place he was going, uh, if you study his life, he was shipwrecked three times. The devil's after him. He got beaten and left for dead two or three times. He had uh, riots. He had all these things, you know, they, they cast out and all the different things he had to do in all these cities that rose up because he was preaching the gospel. But when he was writing all these beautiful books of the Bible, he was in prison, but in prison he had his own house. And he wrote all the Gospels that we read today and enjoy, reaching millions and millions of people that weren't yet born, reaching the churches then. I thought about the conflict quit, no longer in shipwreck. And when they told him he was going to go bound, when the prophet said, you're going to go bound to Rome, he says, I'll gladly go. See, there's no more conflict. He, was, he had humbled himself. He knew what God wanted. He said, I'm not afraid to go and be there. And in that prison, he did more than he was doing outside of it. And in your life, God wants to deliver you like he did Paul out of the conflict. Paul and a young man named John Mark had a conflict. Oh, they're great Christians. Yeah, they were great Christians. The apostle, yeah, the apostle. John Mark wrote the book of Mark, or whatever, he wrote one book, uh, I think. Anyway, John Mark, no, I don't think you were, maybe he did, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. But he, uh, Paul, after sending him away, Silas took him and helped John Mark through his conflicts and things, and then Paul wrote and said, send John Mark to me. He's profitable. Before they were having a conflict, now they're having a union. And that's what Jesus will do in our life. He will deliver us from our conflicts. He will give you more grace. And grace, according to that scripture I started quoting, Paul says, for where I am in, have infirmities, where I have weaknesses, where I have rotten places, that's what infirmity really means. Where I have cancers that's eaten my flesh. Where I've got MRSA. That flesh-eating bacteria. He says, where I have these things in those very weak and in those areas of my life, he says, now I see God's graces upon me enabling me to do the will of God. Grace is for your very weakest and your, the places in your life that are the hardest. Grace of God is for that. Mercy comes through and breaks up 
your hardened, fallow soul. And then the grace of God comes through and like it just softens it. It makes it pliable. It makes it able. It takes care of those old hurts. It takes care of those old 101 reasons why you can't. And why this happened, I'm never going to do that again. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to be practical tonight, church. Just trying to teach you in a very practical manner. And here's what he says. God resists the proud. The proud take it in their own hands. When my wife and I agreed to let the Holy Spirit, and we leave it there for six months, it's in the hands of the Lord. He works on both of us to have his will. He says, he resists the proud but giveth grace to the humble. Here, these are scriptures you didn't know it was talking about fighting, right? It says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Submit yourself to God because that's where your grace is going to be. Submit yourself to God because that is where your answer is going to be. It's not going to be taking it in your own hands and making the best argument you can make. Your answer is going to be humbling yourself before God and getting the best answer there is. And if he's not the answer in that situation, then he's not God. He says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and what? He will flee from you. You may have thought that was for all those situations. No, that's for your conflicts. That's for the war inside of you. We submit to God. And when we submit to God, we submit one to another. And the one all the women hate to hear, the women submit to their husbands. And the husbands then love their wives as their own selves. That way the wife can trust to submit in her husband. Guys, you hear that? The wife will submit to the, to the husband that loves her like himself. It's not rocket science. He says, and to resist the devil together or in your own life, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The devil came to Jesus and didn't find anything that he could use. He didn't find any conflict in him. And said he left him for a more appropriate time or a better time when he could find something. But he come and tried him, but he couldn't find it there. And that's what we want to be. We want to be in Christ when the devil comes and he can't find things in us. He can't find those past hurts to accuse that one of this one. He can't find the old wars in the church where this family hurt this family and they all got together and they all got together and they don't have anything to do, but they go to church every day and they smile at each other, but they hate each other underneath the... See, that's not the way it should be. We should love one another. I said in the church, every so often we just need a Holy Ghost to move across us and make us all love one another and, and walk as one in Christ. Then he says, draw nigh to God. You want God to heal the conflict in your life? Start drawing towards him. Because when you get close, you're going to hear what he's saying. They didn't hear him in the wind. They didn't hear, see him in the fire, but they heard that still, small voice. 
And that's the way the Holy Spirit speaks into our life. He'll speak things into your life. He says, okay. Yeah, I know that happened. And I know he did this. And I know you did this. And I know he did that. But he said, forgive him. And it won't be a shallow forgiveness. It'll be a forgiveness that cleanses us. He goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners. That's when you've heard that just little word from the Lord. It calls you to wash your hands of it. That's the end of it. Israel sinned against God every year. They come and offered the offering that satisfied it for sin. Every year they made that offering. And for that whole year, they were free from that sin. They were free from all that thing that went on. If the blood of lambs was so effective, how much more is the blood of Jesus Christ more effective for you today? Jesus told Mary, don't touch me, Mary Magdalene. I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to offer once and for all my blood in the most holy place upon the altar there forever for your sins. If that blood of the lamb that they offered every year for the sin of Israel was that effective before God, how much more in us is the blood of the lamb effective to those who ask him, those who go find him. It says it will cleanse your hands, you sinner. It will purify your hearts. In other words, you'll have no, nothing to bring back up again. That's the kind of work God does. I've seen God heal my whole family of all that hurt and all that stuff. And we had such a loving family. Even the offender, which was my father, the last seven years was wonderful. None of that was ever brought up. None of that's ever brought up today in my family. None of that's been told to our grandchildren, the children and grandchildren, his grandchildren, because that thing was cleansed. And go challenge God. Say, God, if you'll do that in Brother Dale and his family, you'll do that in me and my family. You'll heal those hurt places. Where it's not healed, you'll put your grace upon it. And you'll cleanse our minds and our thoughts from all that we've carried from behind. And you'll purify us in that we're single-hearted that we don't have to think about them anymore. You double-minded. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I prayed many times with many people. Isaiah 26, 12 through 14, it says, Lord, you ordained peace for me. You have worked your works in me. Other lords have had dominion over me, but you're the only one I'm going to call Lord. Jesus, visit me and cause all their memory to perish. 
That's why the vilest sinner can walk away with the cleanest heart. That's why your most troubled relationship can walk out with healing and love and forgiveness. I said, Jesus, visit me and destroy them. But he took it a step further, and he made all their memories to perish. I stand before you today having no bitterness, no hurt memories that others in the same situation have. I stand before you cleansed of those things, healed of those things, and made whole. I know they happened, but Jesus visited me. In my desperation, that was the scripture I prayed, Jesus, heal me. Visit me. Destroy them. Destroy those memories. We're just going to take a minute if you want to close your eyes. Jesus is visiting us right now. Wherever you're at, Jesus is visiting us right now. And that is why he came. One was he come to heal the brokenhearted. He come to set the people who are held captive by those things free. Those are very powerful things, and that was Jesus' purpose and his aim. He didn't aimlessly come. He didn't aimlessly suffer, but he did it for those things. When he stood up and read that scripture, none, so many there couldn't believe that it could happen with him, but if you will believe today, as he stood up before them and read, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And he was wounded for our transgressions. And the chastisement of our peace is upon him. So when he stood up as, a, as Jesus Christ, he said, to heal the brokenhearted. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to heal the brokenhearted. Right now where you're at, the Spirit of the Lord is right here. If your marriage is suffering, just grab a hold of that one next and say, we're going to do that. So right now, Jesus, we want you to enter in, heal our lives. If you're going through conflict with a friend or conflict in marriage or just conflict inside of you, and you've turned to alcohol and drugs and all manner of things, and some people cut themselves, some people do all this other, some get so depressed, and depression sets in, they want to hang themselves, whatever. Just take a moment and say, Jesus, visit me. Right here is where I'm at. Husbands and wives say, Jesus, visit me and destroy these enemies. <coughs> Heal me of all those hurts. Heal me of all those things that has driven me that direction. All the lust, God, deliver me from those things, Lord. And Heavenly Father, right now, I invite you through the Holy Spirit to come into my life and heart and make me whole. <coughs> completely healed. Completely over. All the past. 
For Lord, I made new in you. Those things are old and they're done away with. See, the old things are to be done away with, not kept and cherished, but done away with. That all things might be new in each and every one of us. Lord, make these new creatures in Christ Jesus. Fresh new believers, God. A whole new start, God, in their relationship, Lord. Out of the conflict, Lord, into your heavenly kingdom, God, where there's righteousness, peace, and joy. Every day of their life, we pray. Amen.